please have that passage open there in front of you at John chapter 21, page 1090. Let's pray. Father God, we know that Jesus Christ came among us to show us more clearly than we'd ever seen before who you are and what your call on us is as we follow you. Lord, as you made the word flesh, sending Jesus into the world, we pray that you'd take your written word and make it live again for us today as your spirit uh, takes it and uh, opens it up to us. Help us to hear, to, to listen well, and to respond. Amen. It's spring, or at least it's supposed to be, um, and it's that time of the year when uh, I'm certainly starting to think about the, the camping season kicking off, and I'm really looking forward to that. If you've been around uh, Kirkpatrick for a while, you'll know uh, that that's something I enjoy doing each summer. There's a lot of stuff about camping that I like, but, but there's few things I like better than the, the breakfasts. Um, so let me paint the, the picture for you. I want you to imagine... Freshly fried bacon, um, served with um, pancakes, toasted just a little bit to warm them and crisp the, the outside of them, and then drenched in, in maple syrup. Uh, that would be a common enough camping breakfast for us, and of course served with a, a nice fresh um, uh, roasted coffee. Now, the thing about this uh, camping breakfast. That, that breakfast I've just described, I think that would taste good pretty much anywhere. But when you take it into the outdoors and eat it there, something extra happens to just uh, light it up. At the same time that you're indulging your taste buds, your other four senses are all being stimulated at the same time as well. So you're looking at the blue sky. I need a wee bit of artistic license here with, with some of this. Um, you're listening to the bird song, um, you're smelling the fresh pine forest, and at the same time, you're, you're feeling the, the grass beneath your feet. And it's all happening when you're sitting there with your closest family and your best friends. Nothing quite like a cooked breakfast in God's good creation. Nice picture you've painted, Christoph, but what that got to do with following Jesus, that's what we're here to think about week by week at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Well, it turns out what I've described has quite a lot to do with following Jesus. If you want to take seriously the gospel accounts of the risen Lord Jesus, then you simply can't ignore the meals. Uh, it's funny that Clive and Helen had us thinking about meals even when we're thinking about marriage. But the gospel writers tell us, when they tell us about the life of the risen Jesus, he spent a lot of time at meals. Uh, John tells us, for example, of a meal that happens in a mess, and some people who, who share the journey to a mess with Jesus. Uh, sorry, Luke tells us that story, and John, in the passage we have just read, tells us about a, a, a breakfast that takes place sometime between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension on a beach in Galilee. So everything that I described um, that had you smiling along and, and licking your lips, everything that I just described is present 
in this meal uh, on the shores of Lake Galilee. Only this time it's not bacon and pancakes, it's freshly grilled fish. Jesus and his disciples uh, are having that feast for the senses. Uh, the, the sun is glistening, the early morning sun's glistening on Lake Galilee. They hear the sound of the waves lapping on the shore. They feel the warmth of a fire uh, as they sit close to it uh, and smell the, the lovely fish as it comes to, to just being perfectly cooked. And all of this in the company of your friends, your best friends, the guys you've been traveling with the last three years. Well, what do you say about something like that? What's the spiritual point? I don't think there is a spiritual point. I want to take this at face value and I want to encourage you to do the same. There's an insistence throughout the Gospels before Jesus dies and now after he dies that he wants to spend time in the company of his friends. And quite regularly, the way in which he'll do that is by gathering around a meal. It's not really what you'd expect in the circumstances, is it? It's certainly not what we would do in the, the modern world. If we had a resurrection on our hands, if we were Jesus' advisors, we'd be saying something like, like quick, book the odyssey. Get, get the tickets organized. Let's have some sort of really big event here. Let's gather a choir of thousands to celebrate this event. Uh, we have a resurrection on our hands here. here. Let's do an evangelistic rally. Think of how many people could be converted if we had a, a story like this to tell. We've got to do something, something big, some big impressive gathering because that's how people know that something important's happened. That's how people know they're in the presence of the living God. That's how we're inclined to think. Jesus goes instead, catches up with old friends, and has breakfast on the beach. That might take us by surprise when we think of the risen Lord Jesus, um, but actually, if we pay attention to the story, if we think of how he was spending his life before he was crucified, then there's nothing surprising about all of this. This new life that Jesus has been born to himself and that he wants to show to his disciples, turns out it has nothing to do with putting on white robes and learning to play the harp. It's, it's more about life and entering into life more fully and more deeply and with greater vision than ever before. Practicing resurrection is getting on with real life, but in a deeper and richer way. We're going to deal with the whole of chapter 21 this morning, so it's, it'd be good if you had the, the text open before you there to see the passage that we haven't even read, uh, the second half of the chapter. This is the final part of John's story, and therefore the way our Bible is arranged. It's, it's actually the last part of, of the last of our four Gospels. This is the last word in the Gospel accounts of Jesus, and and what a last word it is. Let's have a look at this. 
After this glorious resurrection on the beach, Jesus draws Simon Peter, one of his disciples, away from the group. Maybe, maybe he walks with him along the beach. We don't know. And he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Who are the these? He's probably pointing to the other guys on the beach, uh, the group around the fire, the other disciples, maybe some family or friends. But Jesus uses the word here for love, agapas. And he's talking about the highest kind of love. And, And the way the NIV tries to show this to us is it talks about, do you truly love me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. If, if we were reading in the Greek, we'd see that Peter uses a different word for love. He doesn't use the word agapas, which talks about a, a deep and, and ultimate kind of love. He uses instead the word philo, which is the lesser love of a, a friend for a friend. And Jesus tells him, feed my lambs. Then in verse 16, that same exchange is repeated, except this time Jesus drops the bit about loving him more than the others. He's he's scaling down what he's asking Peter. And he asks simply, do you truly love me? Jesus isn't wasting his time. Like any good teacher working with his student, he knows that repetition uh, beds things down into the depths of our hearts. He wants this disciple, his student, to really learn the point that he's making. And then in verse 17, Jesus asks a third time, do you love me? And this time, he switches. Jesus himself switches the word agapas for the word philo. And we can see that in the New Testament translations, they move from truly love to to simply, do you love me? Jesus is reducing again what he's asking of Peter. So each time he's he's asking for a little bit less from Simon Peter, and he's accepted the level at which Simon himself has been uh, speaking and operating. And in the end, and I don't blame him, Peter's upset You can sort of sense it in his exasperated final reply. Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. That is, that I have a a philo, at least a friendship kind of a love for you. I think in the end, Peter's acknowledging with sadness that, that Jesus knew that his love wasn't quite at the level that he thought it was, that he hoped it was. As I meditated on this passage throughout the week, I've come to a rather uncomfortable conclusion. I think Jesus is intentionally trying to to hurt Peter. If not to hurt him, at least to expose him and allow him to experience the fullness of the hurt that he already feels. What makes me say that? Well, three things. First of all, Jesus chooses to call him Simon. If you look, that's how Jesus starts this whole conversation. That was his given name before Jesus had met him and given him a new name, Peter. If you remember, Jesus gave him the name Peter because Peter means rock. And he said to him, Peter, you're the rock on whom I'm going to build a church. 
So Jesus met this guy and he says, you've got a big future. I'm going to use you in a big way in my movement. And now Jesus comes back to him after his, after what's gone before and he says to him, Simon. It's as though Jesus is backpedaling. It's as though he's saying, you know that big plan I had with you right in the middle of it? Well, let's forget about that and let's just, let's just be Simon again. Did you notice the setting? Peter's at a fireside. Starts at a fireside. And he's asked a question about his loyalty to Jesus Christ three times. What's that going to do for Peter? That's going to bring him back in his mind's eye a couple of weeks to the courtyard of the high priest where three times he was asked about his loyalty to Jesus Christ and three times he denied even knowing him. The third thing that makes me think that Jesus is intentionally going deep here like a surgeon with a scalpel is that line Jesus opened with in his first question, do you truly love me more than these? It was a line written to get at Peter. You see, Peter had always taken the view that he loved Jesus more than the others did. That he was the one who truly loved Jesus This runs through the Gospels. You can trace it if you read the stories of Peter. Earlier in his ministry, if you remember, there was that time when the guys were out fishing at nighttime and Jesus is walking on the water. And as soon as Peter notices that it's Jesus walking on the water, he's the one who says, Lord, call me and I'll come and walk on the water too. Look even at the first half of chapter 21. Who's the first to jump out of the boat to go to Peter or to Jesus? It's Peter. Whenever Jesus says, bring me some fish, who is it goes to the boat to get the fish? It's Peter. Peter's always the first one. Peter's the one who, who believes that his love for Jesus is the greatest. Even just a few weeks ago, when Jesus had been explaining, Guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The, the religious leaders there are going to take me. They're going to crucify me. Uh, all of you are going to fall away. What is it Peter says? Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Peter always believed that he loved Jesus more and better than the other guys did. And now with Jesus probing questions, he's come to the realization that, that actually it's simply not true. He's come to the realization that his love for Jesus wasn't all that he'd imagined. And what's striking here, I think is that rather than comforting him and saying, oh, Peter, it's all right, it's not that bad, you, you, you really are. I, I know that you love me and, and, and your love's strong. Jesus doesn't do that. 
Rather than comforting him, Jesus confronts him with the reality. You see, Jesus wants to leave Peter disillusioned with himself. He wants to show Peter that his love isn't all it's cracked up to be. Friends, tell me this. Has your love for Jesus Christ turned out the way you thought it would? Or have you become somewhat disillusioned in your walk with him? When you first came to faith in Jesus all those years ago, you saw it all so clearly. You were serving him with energy and vigor. You, you knew that nothing would, would stop you from, from walking that way for the rest of your days. You were going to follow Jesus all your life with all your heart. You were well aware of the possibility that, that other people would go by the wayside, that they would lose their way. But like Peter, you knew it wasn't going to be you. Even if all fall away in account of you, I never will. How's it turned out? If we're honest, I'd say that for many of us, it's probably all gone a little bit flat. We don't feel like we've grown, like we've lived with the zeal or grown in our zeal and service the way we thought we might. Our lives have ended up barely distinguishable from people around us who don't know Jesus at all. We do the same things with our time and our money and our energy, with the same aspirations for our children that they have. We might not have had the, the dramatic threefold public denial that, that Peter experienced. We don't have that on our CV, but, but like Peter, we've discovered that our love for Jesus isn't just quite what we thought it was. It hasn't turned out the way that we thought it might. And it doesn't take much of a stretch, I don't think, to imagine ourselves to be the ones walking along with Jesus on the shore of Lake Galilee and him asking us the questions, Christoph, do you truly love me more than these? Do, do you truly love me? Do you love me? The, string, the thing that strikes me about this passage is that it, although it's about Peter, I think it's actually about all of these disciples because they're in the same boat that he is. Judas had betrayed Jesus. The other ten had run away. Nobody, not one of Jesus' disciples had turned out to be trustworthy and reliable and people able to go with him for better or for worse. That just doesn't seem to be what happened. And as I was looking at this story, I thought to myself, well, what, what do you feel? Where do you feel a story like this would be going? Well, I'll tell you where I think it would be going. I can easily imagine Jesus making his journey to Galilee that day, 
joining these fellas on the beach and saying, listen, fellas, three years ago, I called you to follow me, to be my disciples, to be my apprentices, and for three years you followed me. Now, while I appreciate your efforts, it's pretty clear that you're just not up to the task. The way you betrayed me, denied me, deserted me in Jerusalem over these last few weeks, it's only confirmed what, what was becoming clear to me all along. You're not the kind of guys I'm looking for to launch a gospel mission, a ministry that's going to change the world. You stay here. Get on with the fishing. That's maybe more your thing. And I'm going to go and find another group of people. People I can rely on to do this important work that I want to do. I can easily imagine Jesus saying something like that in a situation like this. But look at what he does say. Verses 18 and 19. He tells Peter about his future. He says, Peter, you have a difficult road in front of you and a difficult death ahead of you. But then Jesus says possibly the most beautiful thing that he could ever have said in this situation. To this broken fisherman on the Galilean shore, he says, follow me. These words, these are the words that Peter first heard three years ago when a young Galilean rabbi approached him. This was the call that had so excited him in the first place, before he hardly knew who Jesus was. Since then, he had got to know a lot more about Jesus. He had heard the brilliant teaching. He'd seen him heal all sorts of illnesses, raise people from the dead. He'd seen him crucified and rise from his own death. By now, he knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He knew a lot more about Jesus but he knows a heck of a lot more about himself. In these last three weeks, he's learned that he's not up to it. By now and in this moment, with Jesus' help, he's been thoroughly and totally taken apart. He's been disillusioned entirely. He knows now that his love for Jesus isn't strong enough. His love for Jesus isn't going to carry him through. And it's beautiful in ways that I can't quite capture for you. That Jesus then comes and says, follow Peter, I've always known that your love wasn't going to be strong enough. I've never shared your confidence that you have in yourself. But know this, I've chosen you, and I love you, and my love is strong enough to keep us together 
and to keep us moving forward. Despite all your weaknesses and all your frailties, all your failings and all your sin, my love is strong enough. You've denied me. I'll never deny or betray or desert you. Now, pull that boat up on the shore, tidy up those nets, because we have got a different kind of fishing to do. Let's go. Follow me. Friends, maybe you feel disillusioned with yourself this morning. You're not alone. Maybe you feel disillusioned with us as a community. These disciples all failed together. And maybe... And my prayer would be that the Spirit of Jesus might be here this morning allowing us to experience that disillusionment. That same Jesus who wants us because he always cares about truth and honesty, that same Jesus comes to us this morning and he says, follow me. As we hear him this morning, I hope we hear him more aware than ever of our weakness and more aware than ever of his strength. I want you to hear that invitation from God, from God through his word. Follow me. Let's go. Let's follow him and let's do it together. Let me pray. Father God, when we look at Peter and his many failures and his failure in denying Jesus, if we're honest about it, we realize very soon that his story is our story too. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who takes broken people and makes them new. Thank you that you don't drop us from the team when we get it wrong. But you come back, you hand us the shirt, and you say, right, let's go.
Lord, as we've heard your word today, may we be much, much, much less confident in ourselves and much, much, much more confident in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.